Take your Bibles and turn them to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. We're going to be at the end of the Bible almost. We're actually going to be in Revelation 21. 20, 21. We're not going to make it all the way to end chapter 22. How many of you out there are planners when you go on a trip somewhere? How many of you are people that when you go on a trip, you have it planned out where you go, right? Let me, maybe I should ask this way. How many of you, your spouses are planners? There we go. I see that, right? Because sometimes who they're planners like, I don't plan. I just want to know what we're doing. Like, I don't plan anything. We just, you know, have every moment scheduled. That's all I'm saying, right? So Some people like to go on vacations and just enjoy. Some people like to plan. But if you want to go, <laughs> the argument from the planners is, how can you enjoy the trip unless you know what you're doing, when you're doing it, how you're doing it, and where you're going? Uh, we, we went a couple of weeks ago. I'll share with this with you. Last week, we went a couple of weeks ago to Washington, D.C., and in my family, we are planners on vacation, primarily Susan is. And so we had Washington, D.C. We decided to go to Washington on a Saturday, and we were there on Thursday. And in that time frame, we figured out, let me rephrase that, she figured out how to hit everything we wanted to hit, right? With metro and service and getting places and all of that. And just so we, we were in, on Thursday morning, we were in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which is a five-hour-plus drive to Washington. It's where Eli is interning for the summer. And we were back in Winston-Salem at about 7 or 8 o'clock on Saturday night. And in between that, driving 10 hours there and back, some in torrential downpours, we saw the Smithsonian Museum of American History, the Holocaust Museum, the uh, Smithsonian Air and Space Museum, the Smithsonian Natural History Museum, Ford's Theater, the National Archives, the U.S. Capitol, the Library of Congress, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, the Martin Luther King Memorial, the World War II Memorial, Arlington National Cemetery, where we saw the changing of the guard and visited Mount Vernon, George Washington's home. I'm out of breath thinking about it, right? In two and a half days, we walked close to 20 and a half miles. And my watch just wonders what's happened to me since, because I haven't walked that much since. It's important to know where you're going before you go, though, to be able to know those things. And trip planning has changed significantly, even in my lifetime. When I was growing up, and many of you will remember this, the way that you planned for a trip was a little thing called the Rand McNally map. Right? You would drive using that or um, it, for whatever reason at Susan's house, uh, they always kept theirs under the living room chair, under the cushion. And so you'd be talking about, well, we thought about going to Indianapolis or we thought about going to, and you would hear uh, Susan's dad, Phil, uh, Pastor Phil Jett go, hey, one second. And he'd go over there and lift up the cushion and pull out the Ram McNally and we'd start planning. Or how many of you remember the days of the folded map in the front seat? I mean, right? You never could get that map folded back right and do that. Now, we don't even look at what roads we're going to take to get there. I just open up Waze or Google Maps or sometimes both. Sometimes even throw Apple Maps in there just in case, just to make sure. And I trust 
the voice on the other end completely. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? If that thing ever decides to send me somewhere else, that's where I will go, right? And we kind of have some ideas. It's just different. We're researching on the way, finding places to eat, all of that online, but still trying to understand where we're going. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this series of matter of life and death. And I thought today we'd take a little bit of time to talk about where it is that we're going. What's it going to be like? And heaven has lots of misconceptions about it. My assumption here is that everybody in this room eventually wants to go to heaven. Now, now maybe if you're honest, you're a little bit like the Kenny Chesney song that you want to go to heaven. You just don't want to go right now. But when you listen to what people describe heaven as, sometimes it doesn't sound that awesome. Billy Joel in 1977 at the ripe old age of 28 wrote a song called Only the Good Die Young. Part of those lyrics are, they say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Only the good die young. I remember it being a junior in high school and having to read The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Remember Huck and Tom Sawyer and Mark Twain has Huck make this observation about heaven. He says that Miss Watson told me all about the good place. She said all that a body would have to do up there was to go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there and she said not by considerable sight. I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be in the same place. Or Ted Turner once at a National Press Club event said, Remember, heaven is going to be perfect and I don't really want to be there. Those of us that are going to the other place, which will be most of us in this room because most of journalists are going there. Who wants to be in a place that's perfect? Sounds boring to me. When I was growing up, one of my favorite cartoons in the paper was Gary Larson's Far Side. Now, I know that dates me just even saying the phrase cartoons in the paper. I realize that. But Gary Larson's Far Side, there's a famous one of him of a man sitting on a cloud with wings and a halo over his head. And the caption just is, I wish I'd brought a magazine. So there's this idea that that's what we're going to do. We're going to float on clouds like baby angels playing our harps. Is that what heaven is going to be? Let me just say this, I hope not. Because all that the Bible describes for me is something that is far better than that. And so this is the question I want to ask today. Simply, what can we expect in heaven? What is heaven going to be like? And we're going to start in Revelation chapter 20 just as a reminder of where we are. We're actually going to read some of what we read last week. And we're going to talk about what it looks like in heaven by first setting the scene of what happens right before this. So in Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were open. And another book was open, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the seed gave up their dead and the, that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each one was judged According to their works. 
death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose names was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. First thing we have to establish when we get to this, what is heaven going to be like? We have to understand that the people that will be in heaven are those that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we mentioned this passage last week about the fact that this is the judgment that separates the sheep from the goats, the the saved from those that aren't, the ones that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and those that have rejected that salvation. And sometimes people get caught up in this and they're like, well, if it's heaven, it should be for all people. I can't imagine how a good God would send people to hell. You ever heard that argument? Now, how in the world could God, if he's good, if he's loving, if that's who he is, how could he send someone to eternal suffering? And I just want to be real honest with you. This is going to make me sound harsh. I've never really struggled with that question. The question that is more difficult for me to understand than how can a good God send people to hell is, how in the world could God ever let me in? And the real question is not how can a perfect, all-knowing, mighty, and holy God send people that reject his free offer of salvation through his son that he willingly gave as a sacrifice for our sins. How could God send people that reject that to hell? That's not the real question. The question is, how in the world did he see fit to send his son to die for my sins that any of us would have any opportunity to spend heaven, to spend eternity in heaven with him? And what happens at the end of chapter 20 is that you have those sit in eternal fire, eternal death. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And the rest are ushered into heaven. Chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heavens from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And all of God's people said. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards and faithless and detestable and murderers and sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their share will be be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. He then takes a moment to give measurements over the city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, and the seven angels that are there. And we're, we're going to move towards the end of chapter 21. In verse 22 he says, I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. 
The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. So what can we expect in heaven? Here's what I want to do for the rest of the time we have together. I want to talk about what will be there, what it will be like there. And just as importantly, I want to talk about what will not be there. And then I want to ask this question. What are some things that we can only do now to prepare for there? The Apostle Paul, when he is getting ready to finish his ministry and is getting ready to go to be with the Lord, compares it to a departure. The word he uses, the time of my departure is near, is a word that literally means to break down camp, to put down the tent, to move to somewhere else. It's the picture of a navy that was getting ready to sail to a destination of pulling up the anchor. The time of pulling up the anchor and moving on has come. And Paul tells us throughout Scripture, and we learn throughout Scripture, things that we can do now to prepare ourselves for that departure. So let's start with, what will heaven be? And the first thing that is over and over again in this chapter is that heaven will be new. New. He says, I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to make a new city. I'm going to make all things new. There's a, uh, I'm sure you've heard about this, there's a movie out right now that is shocking Hollywood because it's making so much money. It's called Sound of Freedom, and the lead actor in it is a guy named Jim Caviezel. Jim Caviezel's most famous role is when he is in The Passion of the Christ. He plays Jesus in that, and as he's playing Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, there's a scene in particular that I remember that has stuck with me all of these years. And you're talking, I don't know how long ago that movie came out, but it's been, um, it was before I came here. I've been here almost 16 years, so it's been, makes me feel old, right? 18 or 19 years ago. There's a scene in that movie when he's walking and he's moving towards the cross and his mom is there. She looks at him and he looks up beaten with the cross moving towards the crucifixion site. And he says, and this may not be the exact line, but this is what I remember. Look, mom, I'm making all things new. I don't think we can understand how beautiful and perfect our eternal home is going to be. It's going to be new. Brand new. And here's the thing about it. From what we understand in Scripture, it's a new that never wears off. Anybody here ever bought a new car? There's a smell, right? The new car smell. You know what eventually happens to the new car smell? It gets replaced with Cheeto and Bugles and sippy cups full of milk smell. 
And all God's people said, ugh. Right? Right? The new car smell wears off. Here's the thing about our eternal home. For those of us that are believers in Jesus, our names are in the Lamb's book of life. It will never wear off. Never diminish. He says that about where we're going. You think about a perfected earth, the beauties that you've seen on this earth. Think about those perfected. You think about the things that you stand in awe of because of what you see in God's creation and think that is part of a fallen creation. What will the wonders of the new earth and heaven be? And not only is the earth getting new, heaven getting new, Jerusalem being new, new city, new place, new dwelling place for God. What it also says is that you and I are going to be new. I mean, people spend lots of money today trying to look like they're still young. Though Botox industry is booming. You ain't never seen a makeover like you're going to get in heaven. I mean, Jesus' body gives us a glimpse of it. He just appears in rooms when he wants to. He just teleports. That'd be pretty awesome, right? Right? No plane rides, no driving. Just wherever you want to be, you are. I don't know that we'll all have teleportation, but you see what I'm saying, right? It's going to be upgrade upon upgrade. 2.0 of you is not going to look anything like 1.0. Of your brokenness. Not only is it going to be new. It's going to be tangible. What I mean by that. It's going to be real. You can touch it. You can feel it. It's going to be physical. It's not going to be. I know I love the song. In the sweet by and by. But sometimes I get this image. That it's just going to be kind of in this ephemeral. Ethereal plane of just kind of consciousness. And spirit and all of that. Scripture makes it very clear. That there's going to be physicality. To our eternal home. Not only is it going to be new. Not only is it going to be tangible. It's going to be meaningful. See, some people hear the descriptions of heaven and it's been described as an eternal worship service. And for some of you in this room, that makes your skin crawl. Like I can barely give an hour every week. Some of you just aren't singers. You're not people that like music. Now, here's what I will tell you. I think you'll like it more there than here. But the idea that we're going to just sit around on clouds singing all day is not what Scripture teaches. It talks about responsibilities that we have. It talks about governance. It talks about being able to have control over things, of being able to build, that we'll be joining in the creating of moments of God. This is what I believe. I absolutely believe this, and I think it's awesome to think about. If you could right now think of the best ten songs you've ever heard in your life, you don't have to say them out loud because some of you would think of songs you don't need to say in church probably. But if you can think of the top ten songs you've ever heard in your life, here's what I can guarantee you. One day in heaven, none of them will compare to what you hear. And we will be part of creating alongside the Creator what is happening and being sung and being shared and the artwork and the physical traits and all of that will be part of what we're doing. There will be responsibility and creativity and production and there will be meaning in 
eternity. It's going to be personal. We're going to know people there. We're going to know relatives and friends. And our relationships will change because we'll be in an eternal state of joy and bliss. I mean, almost all of you know that I lost my dad just a few weeks ago. This part's always been important to me. I've always thought about that time when I get to go see my grandparents and uh, meet relatives that I've never met and friends that I've lost along the way. Friends in this church, friends in previous church, friends growing up that were believers in Christ. But man, on June 8th of this year, this personal side took a whole new level. And I'm not the only one in this room, I know that. You have spouses, parents, children, grandparents that you can't wait to see again. Heaven's going to be new. It's going to be tangible. It's going to be meaningful. It's going to be personal. It's going to be exciting. A couple of weeks ago, our youth, many of our youth and some of our adults went to a, an event they had in Springfield that was an evangelistic event aimed at targeted really at Robertson County schools and their football teams and youth groups. And um, we got invited to go and be a part of it. And, and the whole program, the draw of the program for that night was that Chase McGrath was going to be there. Y'all know who that is? How many of you have no idea who that is? All right, he's the guy that kicked a knuckleball through the uprights at Nayland Stadium last October to beat Alabama. And not only was he going to be there, the ball was going to be there. And people got excited about the ball that went through the uprights. In fact, I got a picture. I didn't go that night. We had some things I couldn't go. Noah sent me a picture standing next to him holding the ball and said, I'm actually... Now, Noah could care less about Tennessee football. He's a Kentucky fan. I don't know how we keep hiring Kentucky fans, but it happens. He could care less, but even in that moment, he was excited to hold the ball that went through an upright like a knuckleball to win a football game. And we think that being in the presence of the Almighty isn't going to be in some way exciting. We get that fired up about a baseball or a football or a drama performance or a movie. And we don't think that the God who created us all will be exciting. Paul tells the Corinthians, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what the Lord has prepared for those that love him. We can't even imagine. Not only is it going to be exciting, you're going to love it. Love it. You're going to go on excursions and see things that you can only, in your mind right now, begin to dream to imagine. Over the last few years, the fantasy genre of literature and movies has exploded. And part of the reason for that, I believe, is because people are looking for a place that is different than here and that is in some way an escape. 
Here's what I know about heaven. It is real. It is tangible. But whatever you could imagine in your greatest fantasy dreams is nothing compared to how much you're going to love spending time in eternity. I can guarantee you this. Some of you have done unbelievable things in this life. You've had exciting moments and moments that you've enjoyed. The first week you were in heaven, you will experience more in that week that you enjoy and will talk about it for eternity than you did on this earth. It's new. It's tangible. It's meaningful. It's personal. It's exciting. It's enjoyable. It is indescribable. In the Bible, people, when they try to describe what's going on, they just slip into, well, it's sort of like, or if you could imagine, well, if I could describe it, it would be similar to, they can't even come up with adequate words. In fact, we do not have the words in our human language to describe what eternity is going to be. And then here's the last thing, and this is the most important It's God-centric. And what I mean by that is it is centered on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. It surrounds and is surrounded by Him. When you read this passage of Scripture about the new creation, it talks about that they don't even need a Son because God's glory and radiance there. It's always daylight there. There's no night. There's no darkness. It's always surrounded. The people are gathered around. And we will be in the presence of the Lord forever. And here's what I know, even if we didn't have all that other stuff, and I believe firmly we do, even if it didn't have all of the other stuff we talked about, if this was the only thing, that it is the place where God and Jesus reside forever, that is enough for me. So that's what heaven's going to be like. Now let me just say real quick, there is no way, I, I did that in 13 minutes. You're like, wow, that seemed like an hour, 13 minutes. I did that in 13 minutes. There's no way in 13 minutes I can describe the glories of eternity. That's just the snippet, a small piece. It's a grain of rice or a grain of sand on the ocean beach. Just as important as what will, what will be there is what will not be there. And I got a list of 20 things that I know will not be in heaven And it is not exhaustive, but it's what I came up with just thinking through off the top of my head. Things that I am going to celebrate are not going to be in heaven. I have to be careful here because there are things that I've had to change the word. Because I used to say stuff like this at funerals that there won't be any pallbearers. I mean, there won't be any undertakers in heaven or there won't be any preachers in heaven. And I didn't mean the people. I meant the job. Right? People got offended by that. I mean, the funeral directors didn't like that when I would say there are no funeral directors in heaven. So I've tried to change it to, 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 to other things, different nouns than that. But there won't be any grave digging in heaven. No litigation. No war. No gossip. No anxiety. No cancer research. No paranoia, no downturns in the economy, no pink slips, no human trafficking, no regret, no pandemics, no broken relationships, 
No pain in your side when you've run farther than you should. No psychiatric hospitals. No misinformation. No betrayals. No insulin pumps. No tax forms. No tears. You see, we could stand and try all day to describe what heaven's going to be like. But man, when I read some of those things about what we don't have to deal with, it blows me away. And some of those are personal to me. And you've got your own list. And maybe your own list of 20 wouldn't have any of mine. But those are things that are important. And I think about in my life, man. How awesome will it be not to have to look over your shoulder because you don't know what someone's saying about you? How awesome will it be that you don't have to worry about what the next test is going to be from your doctor? That you don't have to worry about the calories you're eating for lunch? Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? I started to say there's no broccoli or Brussels sprouts in heaven. And maybe there are, but they're going to taste good if they are. All right? Just think about all the things that will be missing. And here's what I have come to the, the idea and thought, and how do you describe heaven? The only thing that I can say to say, to, to think through this is, that it is the place where God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will dwell for eternity. That will be far beyond our wildest dreams. That will be the greatest experience we have ever had, and it will never stop or have limits. And yet as I say all that stuff, I realize that I'm not there yet. And who knows how long I have? I, I don't know how long I have. You don't know how long I have. You don't know how long you have. It could be short. It could be tomorrow. It could be this week. It could be 40 years from now. It could be longer than that for some of you in this room. For me in this room, if we live 40 more years, we're beating the odds. And here's what I know. There are things that we can do now that prepare us for there that we won't be able to do there. And I think about in Luke chapter 19. It's a variation of the parable of the talents, the parable of the minas. And he gives minas out and he comes back and he says, what happened? And you know the story, right? The, the harsh owner gives the minas out and he goes away and he comes back. And one says, well, look, I got you ten more. And he's like, awesome, I'm going to put you in charge of like ten cities. And you, I get five more, awesome, and I'm going to put you in charge of like five cities. And then the one says, well, I, I just I didn't want to do anything with it. I was scared of what would happen. And I hid it. And when I hid it, what happened is it's, I've got... I got you back what you what you left me and he gets mad and he takes the one away from him and gives it to the one with the ten. And the point of all of that is that we have to ask the question, what are we doing with here and now that is preparing for and is getting us ready and is storing up treasures in heaven? There's six things that, there are more than that, but six things today that I want to talk about, about things that you can only do here that we need to do here in the time that has been allotted to us because God has given us resources, time, talent, the ability to do things, and He's giving us actual material possessions. And the question is, how are we using them? What are we doing? And so here are six things that you can do now that you can't do in heaven. And the first and the most important is you can accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
You see, what comes before this chapter in 21 about what is heaven like is the chapter before it that tells us that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you will not go there. And once your life ends, that's it. That's your chance. That's your opportunity. God gives you this time, whatever time He's given you to be here. He's given you this time. And the question is, have you accepted the free gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ that God is offering? And if you have not, you can't do that in heaven because you want to be there. So I would say to you today, if you're here and you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior, today is the day. The second thing that we can't do in heaven that we can do now is that in heaven we can't pray prayers that shake the gates of hell. What do I mean by that? I mean that we can pray prayers that rattle the gates of hell and push against the darkness deliver more people into the kingdom of God. If prayer is talking to God, then I'm not saying prayer won't be in heaven. It'll just be a whole lot different than it is here. So who are the people in your life that need to find Jesus? What are the situations in your life you need God to redeem? What are the anxieties you're facing that you need God to take care of? And why are you not praying prayers that shake the gates of hell right now? Third, in heaven we won't be able to serve the least of these. And a part of that's the reason is because the least of these in heaven are going to be the greatest. It's what it says in Scripture. There's a reversal, but we're all on the same playing field in heaven. But Scripture makes it pretty clear that part of our responsibility on this earth is to serve those who are not as fortunate as us, to use our resources for that. So how are you fulfilling that call on your life here and now? Fourth, when we get to heaven, we cannot leverage our current resources to spread the kingdom. You have resources and finances and opportunities here and now that you won't have in heaven to spread the kingdom and to leverage what God has entrusted you with now here We get the idea of the parable of the talents and the minas, but rarely do we think about it as it was intended to be thought about, is that God has entrusted all of us with gifts and talents here and now, and that Him coming back is that day of judgment, and that is when we will give an account for how we stewarded what we had for the glory of God's name and the spread of His kingdom. Scripture says that we are to store up treasures in heaven. Scripture basically makes the reality that for us, the goal of the material things that we have been given, somehow in the history of Christianity over the last 50 years, the idea of stewardship of God's resources has turned into an idea of stinginess and protection. Let's make sure we don't do something wrong with it. Let's make sure that we we protect what we have. Let's make sure that we're using it the exact right way. That was not what was intended in the parable of the talents or the parable of the minus. In fact, the ones that are rewarded there are the ones that risk it for the purpose of expanding the master's kingdom. Good stewardship is not saving everything. Good stewardship is 
taking risk for the glory of God's name and the sake of His kingdom? How are we as a church leveraging our resources to spread the kingdom of God? How are you as an individual leveraging your resources to spread the kingdom of God? When we get to heaven, we won't be able to accept Jesus as Savior. We won't be praying prayers that shake the gates of hell, extending the kingdom. We won't be able to serve the least of these. We won't be able to leverage our resources to more. First of all, we will not be able to face persecution. And you say, well, that doesn't sound like a fun one to do, Pastor. First of all, let me say, I'm not asking anyone in this room to go seek out persecution. In fact, sometimes some of the things in our country that we call persecution are the result of us being mean or judgmental ourselves or just weird. Like, don't seek it out, but realize that taking a stand for Jesus may mean that we lose things. And if we do, that's okay. Charles Spurgeon once said, No one wears a crown in heaven who has not borne a cross on earth. Lou Giglio recently told a story about a a conference that he went to of pastors of large churches and Christian groups. And they were in, it was in another country. And he he said, I can't tell you the other country or, or, or where we were for protection of this person I'm about to tell you a story about. And he told the story of a, a woman, and he said that they, they came on stage and said, we have a very special guest, and we're not going to share her name because she's being protected, and that sharing her name publicly could be endangering her life. And so he said that as he was sitting in his seat, he could see down the corridor where the speakers would come, and as they were starting to introduce this woman, she starts walking down the thing, and he said she looked like she was like five foot one, small lady, she was kind of bent over. He could tell she was older. And she got on stage and began to tell her story. And this was her story, that at some point later in her life, she grew up in North Korea. Grew up in North Korea, she was a believer, and that's illegal in North Korea, so much to the fact that if they find out that you proclaim to be a Christian, that what happens to you in North Korea when you proclaim that is that you die. In North Korea, as they're... Finding people that are Christians, they kill them, execute them immediately. And at some point later in her life, and this is a little crazy for us to think about, but she was able to escape and find protection in China. And that was short-lived because they just knew she escaped and they found her in China and they brought her back to North Korea and they put her in a prison for women that was just completely crowded. She she said she was in a room that was supposed to house 30 to 40 women and it housed 160 and had one bathroom. And she described this place as a place where if you found a place to sleep on the floor, you didn't get up, even if that meant you went to the bathroom on yourself because the moment you got up, somebody else got that spot. She said the filth was unimaginable and that it was just completely unlivable. She said, while she was laying there one day, she felt the Lord say, it's time to start a church. She didn't have a clue what that meant. But the first step she understood was that she was supposed to go stand by the bathroom. She said nobody did that because, as you can imagine, there were not, they weren't cleaning the bathroom every day. 
And so nobody would go and stand by the bathroom, but she did. And she began to talk to ladies that were in line for the bathroom. And in the moments of talking to ladies in line for the bathroom, she eventually led one of those ladies to Jesus. And they began to meet at the bathroom. And as people would come to wait in line for the bathroom, they would just let people, you go ahead, you get in front of me, because they weren't really there for the bathroom. They were there to talk about Jesus. That was their only moments to have those conversations. They had to do it. The guards would never come close to that bathroom so they could do it there. And eventually she led someone to Christ. That led someone to Christ. She led somebody else to Christ. She said eventually that she had in that little place a bathroom church of about 15 people. And about the time the church started to grow, she got released. She escaped again, and this time she didn't make it just to China. She made it to South Korea where she found protection. And she was standing before them today to tell them the story about her bathroom church that God had created. And they asked her, they said, So what is the lesson that you want us to learn about your time in North Korea. And this is what she said through her interpreter. I thank God every day for my time in that prison because how would those people in that prison have known about Jesus if I wasn't there? Lou Giglio telling the story says, my first thought was, Lord, please don't let me be in line behind her and going into heaven. Like, you know, can you imagine she tells that story and then they get to you and you're like, uh, I had a bad toenail uh, incident one time. It was really rough. I had some friends that were mean to me on the playground one day when I was a kid. We have no idea what some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing around the world. And here's the truth. We read places like Hebrews chapter 11. We read the Hall of Faith. And those are great and mighty warriors and people that are honored by God. But there are millions of people like this lady from North Korea that are going to be absolute rock stars in heaven. And my desire is that if persecution comes my way, that I would stand firm in it. That I would not seek it out, but that I would leverage everything I have in those situations for the glory of God. Which leads to our last thing that you can do here that you can't do there. And that is simply share the gospel. There's no evangelism in heaven. There's no opportunity to tell people about Jesus in heaven. He's there. And everybody there has already given their life to Jesus. And it's decision time is over. And the most important way we can invest our time and energy on this earth is giving to causes that are sharing Jesus and sharing Jesus ourselves. It's why we believe in the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board. It's why we give to them on a regular basis. It's why a portion of everything we have in an offering, we give. It's why I don't hesitate to ask you to give. In fact, 
Uh, It would be cruel as your pastor not to allow you the opportunity to participate in the expanding of God's kingdom through those missionary groups, through our camps that we send our kids to in the summer, and through the work of this church. And that's why I'm unashamed to ask you to give to our budgets, to give to our missions endeavors, because we believe that we're going to use that. We're trying to use that in a way to leverage it for the glory of God, to send our resources to places that are going to see the kingdom of God spread. But part of that is the responsibility of each individual Christian sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is heaven like? It's indescribable. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so much fun. You're going to be excited by it all the time. You're going to see people you have known and loved and look forward to seeing again. We're going to share in that for eternity. It will be new and the new will never wear off. We will be new and the new will never wear off. It will be absolutely awesome. And there will be things that won't be there that will make it even better. And until we get there, we need to steward and use everything we've been given on this earth to see as many of the people around us be in heaven with us as possible as we expand the rule and the reign of God on earth and we glorify his name forever. That's the calling on our life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the opportunity we have to stop and to reflect on the glory and the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of what you have prepared for us. And Lord, we ask you to come quickly, to finish it as you say in Revelation 21, and to bring it to an end for your glory. Lord, we pray for whatever time we have left that we will be faithful to serving you in these moments. Pray if there are those today that need to make decisions, that need to make adjustments in their life, that need to change their ways, Lord, that you would guide them in understanding that, that you would let them know exactly what it is that they need to do, Lord, and they'd be willing to say yes. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.